The things David had said were overheard and reported to Saul, who sent for him. Don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. You can't go out and fight this Philistine, Saul answered David. You are still a boy, but he's been a warrior since he was a boy. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, David replied to Saul, and if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock, I would go after it, strike it, and rescue the animal from its mouth. If it turned on me, I would grab it at its jaw, strike it, and kill it. Your servant has fought both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, because he has insulted the army of the living God. The Lord, David added, who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears, will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. Go, Saul replied to David, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own gear, putting a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David strapped his sword on over the armor, but he couldn't walk around well because he'd never tried it on before. I can't walk in this, David told Saul, because I've never tried it before. So he took them off. He then grabbed his staff and chose five smooth stones from the stream bed. He put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag and with sling in hand went out to the Philistine. So when David came back from killing the Philistine, Abner sent for him and presented him to Saul. The Philistine's head was still in David's hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, my boy? I am the son of your servant Jesse from Bethlehem, David answered. As soon as David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life, and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. From that point forward, Saul kept David in his service and wouldn't allow him to return to his father's household. And Jonathan and David made a covenant together, because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his armor, as well as his sword, his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful in every mission Saul sent him to do. So Saul placed him in charge of the soldiers, and this pleased all the troops as well as Saul's servants. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. And uh, we, on this Holy Pride Sunday, are in the middle of our Sacred Rhythms series, where we're talking about how the life cycle um, and understanding human development, psychosocial development, can also shed light on what it means to be in a spiritual life cycle, that God takes us on many journeys throughout our life, and that if we can map those out and understand the turns and textures of those cycles, that we can be more attuned to them and participate with God in the work that she's doing in our hearts and lives and community. Today we are in that <coughs> second grouping of stages, according to um, Eric Erickson, who I like to call Eric Jr., adolescence and young adulthood. Now, the important part of these stages is about understanding our identity and our relationship to others in intimate ways. The adolescent stage is basically asking, who am I? And you can think about this in terms of, you know, the, the coming of age of a teenager or young adult, uh, that discovering who you are is fundamental to your task as a human being in your teens and early 20s. That becoming yourself is about self-differentiating, about following experiments and paths 
um, with an open heart to discover who you are and what feels truest to yourself. Now that can be stymied or stifled in all kinds of ways, and that can lead to what Erickson calls um, identity confusion. Identity confusion is where we have so many messages from other people that we don't know who we are anymore. And it turns out that belonging really, really rests on our ability to find our own identity, to discover what Erickson calls self-belief, to really trust in ourselves, to see ourselves as a unique and uh, integrated person, becoming ourselves as adults. Now, once we have that down, we are invited into the next stage of development, which is young adulthood. Erickson kind of categorizes this from like early 20s till about late 30s, early 40s, and says that this is a question of intimacy versus isolation. Are we going to develop the ability to make intimate connections with others, to love one another, to love and be loved? And intimate means all kinds of things, but it means connection. Are we going to follow the invitation into community and closeness? Or are we going to distance ourselves? Which kind of leads to this self-absorption because we refuse to connect with the others around us. Now spiritually, when we are in a spiritual cycle, we have these same tasks. Last week we talked about how the life cycle obviously goes from, from birth to death, um, but that in our spiritual lives, we may lead many cycles. We may engage in a new path that will go from that kind of discovery of the childhood phase through these phases and beyond into a kind of spiritual ending or the death that gives way to a new cycle. In a spiritual cycle, once we have started to move beyond those questions of the first stage where we're asking, am I safe? Is it worth it? Can I risk this? Can I really put myself out there to explore God or spirituality or faith or community in a new way? Once we've said yes to that call to adventure, that's when we need to discover who we are on this spiritual path. Who am I is the question of that spiritual adolescence. Is my identity authentic, or is it overly shaped or even confused by the expectations of others? Now, we may think about this in terms of a full human life cycle and the ways that um, adolescents and early adults feel pressures and expectations, maybe from family or friends or culture or society. But think about it in terms of the spiritual path with me for a moment. Think about the influence of toxic spiritual communities and expectations, ways that it's made it difficult for you to find who you are. If you've got so many voices around you telling you things that don't seem to fit with who you are, but you're expected to go along with anyway. This is a kind of spiritual identity confusion. This is the floundering that we encounter at this stage when our community isn't supportive of who God is calling us to be in this spiritual path. And we feel like instead of experimenting or questioning or doubting, we are taught we must conform to the expectations of others, even if it doesn't feel like us. That makes that next stage of intimacy really difficult because if we're not bringing our full selves into spiritual life, if we're trying to 
conform to other people's practices or expectations or beliefs, then how can we fully open ourselves up to love and be loved by God, by community, and even by ourselves? And so in that stage of intimacy in the spiritual life, if we can discover who we are, our true spiritual self, then the question is, can we open that up? Can we take the risk to bring our full self into loving community? Or are we going to choose to isolate and cut ourselves off? A movement of usually self-preservation, but still a way that we fail to flourish or that we are held back by the world or by ourselves at this stage of a spiritual life cycle. We are called into the fullness of life with our full selves. Now, in order to wrap our heads around this and to see what God has in store for us, on this Pride weekend, we are going to go to a couple of the queerest figures of the Bible, David and Jonathan. And we are going to learn from them how to navigate this adolescence and early adulthood. Now, David's going to go on and do all kinds of things in his life. He's going to become king. He's in the line of Jesus. He is going to do some horrible um, and abusive things with his power. But all of that comes later in his middle adulthood. We're entering into the story when he is in his adolescence. And we see how he is shaped by those years into his early adulthood, into identity and love and relationship. At this time, when we're entering into his story, he's a shepherd. He's hung out at the palace a bit. He plays the lyre. He's a musician. He uh, seems maybe a little different than his older brothers. And his people are under occupation. They're being invaded by the Philistine army. And this is a conflict that's been going on for quite a while. But the Philistines have a new weapon on their side. His name is Goliath. And he's a giant and He's incredibly intimidating to um, the Israelites and their army. The Israelites don't really know who to put up against him because they're supposed to go kind of like one-on-one -on -one against this Goliath guy, and that just seems like a bad idea. But David hears about this and offers himself up. He comes to the king, King Saul, and he says, put me in, coach. I got this. Now, Saul's first reaction to him is really dismissive. He actually says, who are you, boy? You're just a boy. That guy's been, been eating chumps like you for breakfast since he was a boy. And uh, just expresses doubt that David can actually do this. Now, I think it's really interesting because when we retell this story, often we do depict David as a boy. And he might be you know, an adolescent at this point. But in the context of his culture, he has certainly come of age already. He's not a child. And we see King Saul calling him a boy as a way of kind of undermining him, undermining his um, sense of self to say, hey, you think you're further along in this spiritual cycle, in this life cycle than you actually are. Back it up. You're still in childhood. And we actually, once... Fast forward, spoiler alert, David does go up against Goliath. Shocker. Uh, but once that happens, Goliath also refers to David as a boy. And there are some scholars who note this, saying, hey, we don't think that David actually was that young 
We think that this is a way of the people in power demeaning David um, and saying, oh, basically, you're too big for your britches. This is not your time yet. Step back. Which is an interesting thing for us to unpack. We know, for instance, in our racist history in this country, that words like boy and girl, when hurled against adults, um, is usually done in a racist context. Most often, um, those words are used against adult uh, black people to, to undermine their authority um, and to kind of create or magnify an imbalance of power with white people. And so when we, when we really examine that, like what is someone doing when they imply that someone, an adult or a young adult, even an adolescent, is a child? It's about putting someone in their place. And we need to be very, very cautious of that. Because we know from those racist examples that this is a form of abuse um, when it's done to demean someone. We also know, and should keep in mind this Pride Weekend, that there are a lot of people who are told when they emerge um, to their families or their communities and say, hey, this is me, I know who I am, and are met with, you're not old enough to know, you're not experienced enough to know, this is just a phase. That kind of undermining of the sense of self is about kicking someone back and saying, oh, you should stay in that childhood stage. You're easier to control that way. And when we think about that spiritually, if you're on a spiritual path and you're emerging into an identity, a spiritual identity, a spiritual truth, or spiritual questions, and you are told, sit down, do what you're told, be more childlike and rely on me or the other authorities in the room to tell you what's really happening. This should be really, really deeply examined. That that might be a red flag, that you're in a community that doesn't actually want you to advance into your own identity <coughs> as a spiritual person and as a spiritual authority. And so when we have young people in particular, but any people who are not explicitly children, being referred to as child or boy or girl in these ways, we want to really assess, is this accurate? If you are spiritually on a path and you feel, oh, I must be in this childhood, I must not have advanced beyond that, ask yourself, is that accurate? Is that influenced in any way by systems of oppression? Is that influenced by toxic spiritual community that has tried to keep you in a spiritual childhood. Huge red flag. David isn't held back by this, though. David has an extraordinary amount of faith in the God Yahweh who is with him. David can see himself for who he is through God's eyes. And so says to Saul, no, you've got it wrong. I know who I am. I, sure, yeah, I'm a shepherd. And you know what I've done shepherding those sheep? I've chased off lions and bears, and I didn't even have, like, you know, your whole army with me. I just did it. And you know who protected me? God's own self. So, like, I got this, King Saul. You can't tell me who I am. And that faith that David has, that he can self-determine his identity, is incredibly powerful. 
Saul, who probably was just worried and nervous and insecure in this moment, sort of takes that in stride and says, okay, you want to have a shot? All right, but let me give you my armor. Now, this is probably Saul being empathetic, supportive even. You're going to go into battle. I want you to have everything that you need. So let me give you what I need. This is a habit that we all get into. And sometimes it's really helpful. We're saying, hey, I've been there before. Let me give you what helped me. But what we discover in the case of David and the armor happens all too often in our spiritual lives and elsewhere as well, which is that David puts it on and unsurprisingly, it's pretty ill-fitting, uncomfortable, heavy. David puts it on and is immediately like, I can't walk in this. This isn't for me. And so takes it off. And here again, we have another lesson from David in what it means to ask those questions, who am I? And to come out on the other side with a clear sense of self given to us by God and claimed by our own self-belief rather than getting confused or held back, pushed back into that childhood innocence of always looking to others to tell us who we are, or being confused because we're walking around in someone's armor or someone else's expectations. We have David say, no, I know I'm doing something scary, but I'm going to do it exactly as who I am. And I have confidence, again, that God is with me that God has called me to be exactly who I am and go into the world in that very manner. Now, that's not to say that David had to have an ironclad identity that was set in stone. This phase is not about knowing who we are forever, but it's about having confidence that what we know about ourselves now is true and that that can change. It doesn't have to be static, but it is important that it is self-determined, that self-belief, that understanding that who you are in this moment is holy and validated by God, that God's own self will be with you, that the expectations of others sometimes can be a guiding light into that exploration, but oftentimes it's just ill-fitting clothing, not protecting us at all, but making it impossible for us to move through the world. On Pride Weekend, we know this all too intimately the ways that other people, that spiritual community in particular, can pile on to an individual, can tell them who they are in ways that are wrong and harmful, that are stifling, that hold that person, that child of God, that beautiful being back. Not protecting them, not helping them, but limiting them, making them feel burdened and ashamed. This Pride Weekend, we need to bust free of all of those expectations, shed the armor, even the stuff given by people who are trying to help, and to say, hell no, this is me, and that is holy and good, and I will walk through the world bare. I will walk through the world in the sandals of my shepherd self. I will walk up to the face of Goliath with just a sling in my hand and five stones because I know that God has equipped me. And you may see me as vulnerable. You may see me as different. But being vulnerable and being different are holy and good. And I am who I am because God made me this way. And God is good and wise. 
Because we do see that once David gets into battle, his own self, not in any other person's armor or expectations, going out there, shocking everybody because they're like, this is new. He uses his sling. And these slings were not made to be weapons of death. They were really meant to hurl rocks at predators to scare them off of the flock. But David hits Goliath in the only unarmed place on his body, probably, or face anyway, squarely between the eyes. And this giant, by a miracle, falls down, defeated. The invading army is pushed back. And the Israelites have more time, more room to breathe, to feel safe in their home. Their protector, the young boy David, who would not be told how to be who he is because he knew and he tried and he experimented with who he was to find the person that God had created him to be. So now that we have David triumphantly returning to the king, his, his self intact, defying the expectations and saying, who I am is good enough, who I am is beautiful, who I am is better than who you would have me pretend to be. He comes in and enters Erickson's stages of early adulthood. You see, he comes with the head of Goliath, very gory. We could unpack that element at another time. But he comes in holding the decapitated head of Goliath as a trophy, offers it to the king. And in that moment, he is seen for who he is. He is a warrior, and he is the boy who played the liar. He is David, the former shepherd, the current, um, the current warrior, but also, again, still in his own attire coming from outside the army, bringing his identity with him. And in that moment, he catches the eye of Jonathan. Jonathan is the king's son. And some people will describe this as a very, like, Romeo-Juliet, love-at-first-sight moment. Now, our text today describes this as Jonathan sort of seeing David and immediately being kind of drawn to him. And it says, Jonathan's life became bound up in David's life. And that's beautiful. But I think it's actually a tamer translation than I like. The NRSV uses the word soul. Jonathan's soul became bound up in David's soul. And the NASB uses the word knit. Jonathan's soul was knit to David's soul. There is an incredible amount of intimacy here. They fall for one another. And, uh, and David moves in. David moves into the palace and <clears throat> they start living life together. David is in charge of more and more armies and it describes this love between Jonathan and David that becomes more and more solidified. That they made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as his very own soul. And I love these passages because they're just sort of gooey and romantic. I mean, like, this is very, like, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You know, this is very Ruth and Naomi running off together. Um, you know, may, may God cut me off if I don't die next to you. My love is with you forever. Um, and 
And that love um, is queer and beautiful and powerful. And for a while, <laughs> they're okay. The story goes on and becomes much more complicated. They are torn apart um, by Saul um, and, and driven away from each other. But at the end of Jonathan's life, David memorializes him by saying, Jonathan, your love to me was more wonderful than the love of any woman. And so we know that there was this beautiful intimacy that was probably sexual and romantic in nature as well. That the two of them formed a bond that probably was really difficult in their time, that was also authentic and beautiful and powerful. And I would argue that this love that David and Jonathan had for one another was only possible because of David's commitment to that earlier stage, to be fully himself. Because it was him at his fullest self that was seen by Jonathan. That's what Jonathan fell for. You see, we need spaces to be fully ourselves, and we need to, to not always contain that. I know that it is not safe for all people to be out in all spaces, and so I know that we are not there yet. But any opportunity we have to be out of the closet, any opportunity we have to be among community that sees us and validates us for who we are, any place that we can put our full selves out there and trust that we will be seen instead of harmed creates an opportunity for intimacy and love, for delight and connection, for fulfilling that dream, that goal of this stage of spiritual life to love and be loved, to be drawn in towards the other and not isolated or separate. That intimacy can take so many forms, and it can include uh, romantic and sexual love as it does between Jonathan and David, but it can also include friendship and community, family. It's about being connected and close to another. And how can you be close? if you're keeping part of yourself locked away. We need to bring our most authentic selves into the light, into the spaces of community, into the, the closeness with one another in order to achieve true connection. And that takes a lot of risk. And so spiritually, when you are on a spiritual path and you're discovering things about yourself that you never knew, through experimentation, through freedom, through a confidence that God has blessed you and has allowed you your unique identity, not to take on the identity or armor of someone else, but to truly pursue God and faith and spirituality on your own terms, and you discover who you are, what do you do with that self? Do you hide it away? Do you keep it locked up? Or do you find ways to put it out there? Do you find communities, do you find people and relationships that are willing to see you and love you for who you are, to say yes to love and to love them back? Do you offer your full authentic self to God, to let God love you fully? so that you can love God from a place, place of authenticity? 
This is about showing up, y'all. It's about taking that risk to bring your gifts, your talents, your quirks, your fears, your questions into community. It's about saying, hey, I'm going to keep experimenting with who I am. I'm going to show up to new and different types of spaces. Maybe I'm going to put my hands up during worship sometime. Maybe I'm going to sing out loud for the first time. Maybe I am going to check out an echo group. Maybe I will talk to that person from church about a book I'm reading. Maybe I will ask my partner to pray with me. It's about taking your sense of self and putting it out into connection. It's about saying, hey, I, I might not be at that early stage anymore. What do I have to offer? And like David, seeing an opportunity to lead, to say, hey, I have gifts, and I'm going to offer them, not on anyone else's terms, but on my own. I'm going to discover what's beautiful and powerful about my spiritual identity, and I'm going to offer that back to community so that I can love on the community and be loved for who I am. I'm not going to sit in the wings anymore. I'm going to show up. This is what it means to be the church, to find one another, to find one another fully, not just the pieces of ourselves that are acceptable or that look like the right thing, but to find the true giftedness, the uniqueness that God has given each of us, to declare that God is with us, God has blessed us in our queerness, in our questioning, in our discovery of the world, in our passion for justice, in our nerdy love for theology, in our weird and complicated relationship to the Bible, in our love of board games, in our passion for, for offering food to one another, in our, um, in our embrace of hugs or our no thank you all waves, but showing up fully and saying, hey, this is valued here. And I can trust that enough to put it out. I can trust that enough to show up. This is the task of that early adulthood, that, that second stage of the spiritual path, putting yourself out there. You said yes to the call to adventure. Who is it shaping you into being? And how can you put that out there to be loved and to love others? The embrace of community is the reward for being bold in this stage. Yes, the desert mothers and fathers, they figured out how to be spiritual alone in their own ways. But most of us are called to community. And a while back, we had something in our 20 questions, no, no stupid questions series, where someone asked, basically, you know, Am I required to be in spiritual community, or is this something that I can do alone? And I stand by my response, which was, there are some people who are called to connect, to open up to love, and to be loved in really unique ways that are intimate with God and intimate maybe with nature, um, but not intimate with humanity. But if you're someone who needs people in your life, then you are someone who needs people in your spiritual life. If being isolated brings you to a space of, of mental uh, stress and emotional stress, then being isolated brings you into spiritual stress. The vast majority of us are called to be in close, intimate, messy, powerful community with each other. We are called 
to bring our full selves to the world, to take pride in who we are, to take pride in the members of our community, to celebrate one another, to have an outpouring of love. And sometimes, as in the case of David and Jonathan and Zhao and June and Pride Month, it's really gay, and that's fantastic. And sometimes it has other, other textures and quirks and meanings, and we celebrate those too. So will you be community to one another? Will you take the risk to show up with your authentic self and to meet the authentic others who are spiritually bearing themselves to be a part of your community. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, you know who you made us to be. God, give us hope that we are blessed by you. Give us assurance that you know who we are and you love us. Give us the strength to pursue who we are outside the expectations of others. God, help us shed the armor that is not ours. Help us find protection in your spirit as we go with vulnerability and boldness into the world, declaring who we are with the hopeful expectation to love and be loved. God, your love surrounds us always, and we know that if we show up with our authentic selves, you have only love for us. May we feel that, and may it radiate through our communities. May we learn to love one another with boldness and to see your face each day in ourselves and one another. Amen.